Welcome to the start of a truly historic turning point in South Africa and one that's needed and one that will hopefully inspire us in spite of everything that's going on at the moment. I think it's times like these where we need to adjust our, our lenses a little bit and look for the, the hidden beauty and the hidden potential in our country. And so with that, I welcome you to the launch of the Made Redress campaign. My name is Mbalin Jomane, and I'll be your host tonight. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Getu Dingube. Um, I'm one of the, co- of the founders of MADE. Uh, I met my fellow domestic workers, co-founders, Clementine and Knowledge, a few years ago. And through Knowledge, I met Bali and Tuliza. MADE is uh, a project not only to make people aware of the challenges domestic workers come across in a daily basis. But it is there to create opportunities for those domestic workers who have got skills and they've never rewarded for them. So when I met these beautiful ladies, I decided that I should join them because as for myself, I'm a domestic worker as well. And I've been in the domestic work field for 31 years. So I thought I have to to add my input as well. I think most domestic workers, they'll be happy to join this program as well. Because it is different. It's not a union. It is, as I said, that it's a platform or a project to help domestic workers. I think I'd like to introduce my fellow co-founders, Bali and Tuliza. They are the ones who are our pillars. We've been with them from day one. Every Sunday we used to go to her house to sit down there and talk to each other, sharing points and views, but we didn't know what we were going to do exactly. But as time goes on, we decided that we have to give this project a name, and we named it MADE. Thank you very much for being here, or all being here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's Gertrude Ngube, one of our three uh, co-founder domestic workers. And I'd like to just start off with greetings and special mentions, because we certainly didn't do this on our own. Um, so we just first want to thank everyone that's allowed this to be possible way before it became this event. Um, this is the first of the fashion talks by the fashion department, and it aims to address the many pertinent issues in the fashion industry. So I'd really um, suggest that you come to to as many as they they offer because they really are doing astounding things in their department. Um, but I'd like to specifically thank Dr. Desiree Small. She's the head of the fashion department, um, and she accepted this idea into her department, and she really inspired her team to action it. And um, she's also been very swift to act on this event, which literally took three weeks to put together. Thank you also to Jackie Lucking for, she's also a fellow um, fashion design lecturer. 
Um, and she oversaw the process of the uniform design, and she really gave it the necessary rigor. Um, thank you also to Nishane Harvey and Lee DeVette for your design guidance and your open-mindedness. Really appreciate it. Thanks to um, Brittany Shepston, Kristen Solomon, and Sanal Nagar. And those are the students whose winning design is on the stage tonight. And a very heartfelt thank you to the whole first-year class who took on the challenge to redesign the domestic worker uniform. Um, so let's tell you why we're here tonight. Bali? Who are among the most powerful women in South Africa, but the least valued? Who's the leading enabler of women in South Africa, allowing many of us to leave our homes and families every day to thrive in our careers? Given that our resources, or our main resources rather, in 2017 are time and energy, who gives South Africans back more time and energy than anybody or anything else? Whose circle of care accounts for more than two million or a seventh of South Africa's homes? Who is best positioned to help South Africans save water and electricity and avoid a sustainability crisis that will bring our economy to its knees? Who can help us prevent household waste and promote giving by helping to identify and distribute the things that South Africans don't need to use? Who is the everyday innovator and creative that can help brands to better understand the needs and opportunities that exist within household South Africa? Who can help us teach our children African languages and culture? Who is best positioned to help us fight crime because she is more present in our homes and neighborhoods than anybody else? Who moves between more worlds and social classes than anyone else? Who's a mother and sister to presidents, icons, business leaders, and every kind of South African, including you and I? Who can help us build a nation by holding a mirror to ourselves, to our children, and to our fellow citizens? Is it government? Is it institutions? Is it companies? Is it you or I? I suppose it could be. But my question to you tonight is who can help us to achieve those extraordinary things right now? Again, my name is Mali. Um, this incredible woman is Tulisa Cindy, and we are two of the five co-founders of MADE. Getty, who you just met, is another co-founder, as well as Knowledge and Clemmy, uh, who you'll meet later in the evening. MADE is a venture for domestic workers and by domestic workers, and it aims to reimagine their role in South Africa. So the name, it's a play on the word made, M-A-I-D, which is a belittling term used for domestic workers and one that they often aren't fond of. And made, M-A-D-E, which is the idea of creating something. We believe that ideas like M-A-I-D are made and therefore they can be remade or unmade. And that's exactly what we've set out to do. So MADE's purpose has one aim, um, and it's to reimagine and to reposition the unique value of domestic workers in our country whilst expanding their scope of opportunity. So this varies from industries such as architecture, broadcasting, fashion, as we're here today, and even comedy. But just to be clear, there are organizations like the Domestic Workers Unions, um, and they offer a clear mandate, and that's you know, to legally legitimize the industry, to regulate the industry, and to also participate in policymaking. 
Our company doesn't stand in opposition to any of those organizations. In fact, we really appreciate that they're there. But how we practice is that we design relationships that should exist with the domestic worker industry, but doesn't yet exist. At the moment, the sector is very isolated from all other industries. And we work to design a very new networked industry that can shift those economies by creating reciprocal value relationships, just like this one, for instance, which is between their industry, the university, and retailers. So what they see every day is what inspired the birth of the Made Sessions, for instance, which is a show on cliffcentral.com. We realize that to speak about the issues that they face won't necessarily humanize them because we are aware of most of those issues already. We thought to rather present them as the experiential intellectuals that they are. (laughs) So this broadcast space was created for their views, their opinions, and their takes on society, and it positions them as our country's most informed social commentators because of how invisible they can sometimes be. And so what they get to observe is often things that most of us will never get to see. So imagine... Zuma's domestic worker and how privy she might have been to Zuma's reshuffling decision. Um, And imagine all the places that they have access to and what they can tell us about us. So the podcast is there to center their experience of the world, which just so happens to have a lot to do with us as well. Um, We won't get into all of those details, but what we do want to do is make our purpose very clear. The industry needs to play in the economic space in order to become an intelligently sustainable industry one that affects our country's socioeconomic landscape like no other, as it already does. And with such rich and unique skills that we find in the women who do this work, our job becomes quite easy because we don't actually have to make up unique skills or values or spaces that they fill. So our stance is that the industry doesn't need saving because the problem is with us and not quite with them. Rather, it needs to be positioned and economically valued as highly as it is influential. At the moment, one in five women in South Africa is a domestic worker, and that's a million that's documented. And with their presence in two households, they affect about a seventh of the households in our country. That's the largest personal reach of any industry. Sustainability for us isn't a buzzword. We know that it can be designed, and we've made it our business too. And often things that fall under aid create more dependency than they do independence. For that reason, we're launching what we call the MAID Foundation, that our financial advisor and fellow MAID colleague, (laughs) Nikki Gadju, will explain a little bit later. But um, it basically introduces financial literacy and access to funds, uh, children's courses on budgeting and entrepreneurship, and all those sorts of supports in order to address systemic and generational poverty. And um, so we have MAID and we have the MAID Foundation, and most of the a major part of the profits that we make from MADE goes to the foundation and the rest keeps MADE alive to continue to build more powerful relationships that further feeds into the foundation. So uh, there's two parts to our purpose, right? The first is to reveal the hidden economic value and potential in the role of domestic workers in South Africa. This is not a charity exercise. And if we label it that way, we will continue to undermine their market value. I can't stress that enough. Um, Because I personally feel that these women have done more than their fair share of charity in South African homes. Maids, founders, and employees will be valued and respected as legitimate business professionals. 
The second part to our mission is to create skills and personal development opportunities for domestic, domestic workers and their families that help them to meet their potential. So what this requires from us is two different entities, right? So the first is a startup called MADE, which will match domestic workers with market opportunities, like saving water electricity, doing market research for household brands, or taking a uniform line to retail. These projects will help MADE to raise the money that will then be invested in the MADE Foundation. So we, we're now going to take a five-minute break just to allow the panelists to join us on stage, and then we will resume the program and start the, the panel discussion. Thank you so much. Welcome back to part two. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. My name is Knowledge Dube, and I'm 22, the youngest of MADE co-founders. We have come a long way with MADE. It's been a year now since we started working. We worked hard to be at this point today. Mom Vaughn told me that her mother was also a domestic worker. But she changed her life as you see her now. And she told, she has inspired me to be independent and follow my hopes and dreams. And I look where I am now. She is so humble, and she does not look down on anyone. As with as respect that she has shown me, I would like to humbly welcome Mam Von Chaka Chaka. Thank you. Thank you very much, Knowledge. The baby's growing. Hello everyone, my name is Yvonne and um, I'd like to say to these uh, two ladies and the rest of them, well done. It's so amazing that um, we've got students here today and I'm sure half of you are brought up by your helpers. I do not call them uh, maids or domestic workers, because my mother was a domestic worker. And today I brought my helper. She's sitting right there. You can't even see that she's a domestic worker. Emela Gemas. <laughs> and I brought one of my kids. Uh, we share her with Vicky. She's the big boss at Vodacom. She was brought up by a domestic worker, her mother, Vicky. She's sitting right there. Vicky is an amazing woman. She, Vicky worked for the, camp, for the family that started spas in South Africa. I used to think she was the boss. She was bossing the bosses. That's how she was. And today she brought up this beautiful girl who is running a big budget at Vodacom. There's Eleni. Please stand up, Ndanam. So Eleni and I, Eleni is like my daughter, she's Vicky's daughter, but I want to show you that Eleni was brought up by Vicky, her mother, who is a domestic worker, and I was brought up by a domestic worker as well, and all I remembered as a young girl, I wanted to be white when the teacher asked me what I wanted to be, because we lived in this small room, and the madam and the children were in this big house, and uh, I could not understand the only person who hated us was the bus. 
the boss will always say to the wife, Pat, go and tell Sophie to hide her children. So the madam will come and say, Sophie, hide the kids. The boss is here. I wanted to bring my white mother today, who was my mother's madam. I couldn't find her. She was an amazing woman because when my father died at the age of 11, the white government took the house from my mother. That's how we ended up staying in the madam's backyard. And as a young black child then, I was born in 1965. So you can imagine, I'm 52 and sexy. And, uh, you know, as a black child then, we did, not, we did not understand. I always wanted to play with David and Louise, and, uh, and at a certain time, we have to go into the room. And I used to ask my mom, why are we not staying with them inside? And my mother would be very upset. I remember one day, I asked the madam, I said, Pat, why can't I go with Louise and Vivian to school? And my mother found me still standing there, you know, looking at the madam like this. And she pinched my small ears. You'll get me fired. You must never talk to my mother, to my, to my madam. So I want to say I have a very soft spot for domestics. And uh, you have to practice what you preach, by the way. That's why I brought my helper with me today, so that she can meet other domestic workers or helpers and know what is happening today. Because we tend to trample on these people, and they make our lives better. And they are not domestic workers. Well, they're not maids, but I think they are helpers. They're there to help us make our lives easy, and we're there to help each other. So I'm sure if we can just change our mindsets and treat them very well. My friends, when they come home, they always ask, where are your helpers? And because we're all one big family, they eat in the house. When we dine, I want them to sit with us and eat with us because why should they eat after we've eaten? So it's them when they don't want to, but they're always invited to come to the table and have dinner with us. And that's how I feel because I know how is it like to be brought up by a domestic worker. So with that said, I want to say thank you to Bali, thank you to Lisa, and thank you to them, to the madams, because they are. You guys are the madams, by the way. And I think we should stop ill-treating them. And thank all my panelists here. Thank Tim. Tim is... um, is a, is a brother. You know, you're not American anymore. You're South African. I mean, he's a, a, a well-known uh, author, you know. Um, he decided to, come, to leave America to come to South Africa. And I really thank you for being here because you are a big deal, by the way. You know, and thank everyone who's here. I didn't choose to be a domestic worker's daughter. I found myself in that situation, and I took myself out of that situation. But guess who my role model is? My mother. She was my mother. She'll remain my mother even in the grave. Because today I walked all as a woman. The woman that I am, it's because of her. And Eleni today is who she is because of Vicky. And Vicky tells the white man, I'll hit you. You know, that's how Vicky is. And that's why I brought them here today. And I, I really want to thank you guys for being here. And the students who created this, you're amazing. With that said... I'm going to sit down and we do the panel, but I want to say, still so many answers I don't know. Real last two question is how we grow. 
So I step out of the ordinary. I can feel my soul ascending. I'm on my way. Can't stop me now. You can do the same. What have you done today to make you feel proud? It's never too late to try. What have you done today to make you feel proud? What have you done today to make you feel proud? Oh, and I brought a reporter. I brought a reporter. I've got a reporter here. Stand up, Togozis. I brought a reporter from the Gupta TV. <laughs> oh. oh, my goodness. But this one writes very well. He writes for international as well. That's my son. When I said to him, domestic workers, he did not hesitate. He came. But who pays his salary is a Gupta TV. But you know what? You can rest assured, he's positive. I have no words except that you continue to surprise us and your, it's like knowledge said, your humanity is, is extraordinary. Um, and we're deeply blessed and, and humbled to have you. So I'd like to now introduce the main item on the program, which is the panel discussion. We've had very rich and in-depth conversations with domestic workers over the past year. When asked about the number one thing that threatens how they are seen and treated in South Africa on a daily basis, they said that when they put on that simple piece of fabric, their value disappears. And so that the, the topic of discussion uh, tonight is how can fashion help to redress domestic work in South Africa and to help us look at this from every angle. We have six amazing panelists. The first is iconic entertainer, civil society leader, and goodwill ambassador to the UN. She's so many things, um, but more than anything else, she's our mother. Mum Yvonne Chaka Chaka, also known as the Princess of Africa. I'd also like to introduce Julie Mtembu. Julim Tembi helps um, our, our friend and partner, Penny Stain, who we'll talk more about a bit later. But she helps Penny to run Domestic Watch, which is a powerful program that works with domestic workers to help prevent crime in neighborhoods across Johannesburg. We then have Clemmy Van Ruen who is one of the co-founders of MADE, and nobody ever believes that she's a domestic worker. Clemmy's been invaluable in helping us uh, to design the uniform and just to gather the insights. Um, she's also got a fantastic sense of style, so we're very, very pleased to have her on the panel tonight. <laughs> uh, next, we have renowned author, branding expert, and social analyst, Timothy Maurice. We also have one of the senior lecturers within the Department of Fashion at UJ, Nishane Harvey. Her focus is to develop fashion design as a human-centered practice. We're looking forward to your insights on the design process as well as um, just the role of the university in all of this. So thank you and welcome. And last but certainly not least is my beloved partner and co-founder of MADE, Tulisa Cindy. 
To help us, first and foremost, though, to understand the issue, my first question is to Julie and Clemmy. Could you try to describe to us how you feel when you put on the domestic worker uniform? When I put on a domestic worker's uniform, you know, that's the job you have for that time. So I, I feel like it's my job. But you know what? It depends who you work for, you know. So even if you put it on, you don't feel right. But it depends who you're working for, how they treat you, you know. You can wear it if you like or if you don't like, you can say it out. You know, it's all about talking and saying it out. I don't feel like wearing it. I'm comfortable working with my clothes, but when I wear it myself, I do feel comfortable because in the environment I'm working at, I feel so comfortable. Mm. And I'm treated as a human being. I'm being uplifted in everything I'm doing, you see. Mm. I'm given all the opportunities to do whatever I like. So to myself, I feel comfortable. But it comes where a time where there are a lot of people. I don't feel like wearing it around. I don't feel like wearing it around people because I feel like it's just showing people who I am because sometimes a uniform can describe you as somebody else, you mm. see. Mm. So I, I do feel comfortable, that's what I can say. Would you wear this uniform to a parent's evening at your child's school? I, I would wear it to a parent's evening for the school for my children. Why is that? You know, children these days, you know, they're different from the olden generation, you see. Mm. I can wear this going to the parents' evening. So they feel like they're nothing. The other children laugh at them and say, your mother is a domestic worker. But they don't know what's in it, you see. Mm. So I'll be protecting my child from feeling bad from other children, you see. Because these days, most children, they criticize each other about your mother is a domestic worker, you stay in a backyard or whatever, all those things you see. So I'll be trying to protect my children by not wearing it to the parents' evening. But isn't it sad that you're protecting your children from the very work that puts food on the table? I know, I, 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 I know about that, but mm. you know what? I would like to protect them out there from the public. Sure. But when I'm at home, I sit mm. with them down. Mm. I talk to them. I make them understand the situation mm. I'm in. Would you wear it to church? No, I wouldn't wear it going to church also. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got a church uniform when we're going to church. Maybe when I go to church, I would wear it when I'm going to clean and do other things you mm. see around. Then after that, I take it off when the crowd comes. Then that's when I uh, I, I would take it off. Clemmy, how do you feel when you wear this uniform? To be honest, when I wear this uniform, um, I really don't feel right. It makes um, the uniform says it all. I feel so empty inside. It the, the uniform describes you. It really describes who you are. It says who you are, and that doesn't make me feel right. Unlike with any other uniforms, um, it's other uniforms are just uniforms. It won't say this person is a, an overall. You can have five overalls, but you won't know that he's an electrician. You won't know that he's a plumber. You won't know that he's a digger. But this uniform, it says it all. Would you wear this uniform to a restaurant? I definitely wouldn't wear this to a restaurant. And on a date. On a date. And on a date to a restaurant. Guy, oh. Because the first thing, all eyes will be on me. And um, these people obviously are going to, they're going to undermine me. 
They're going to start asking questions. Is this guy gone crazy? Hasn't, are there no, are there no other ladies? <laughs> Is he gone out of his mind? What's wrong with this woman? How can she come with the uniform like that? And I mean, everybody will be looking at you because you're wearing this, this uniform. What, what, what went wrong with your clothes? So it's really not comfortable. Don't feel right. Then I want to open it up now to the rest of the panel, uh, to make it see that you'd like to say something. The first thing I would like to say is I'm really proud of you and your founding members. Uh, I think that we need to give them another big round of applause for the work you did. This conversation interests me on a lot of levels, but the main is I have a background in design, physically designed clothes, and I studied neuroscience at MIT. So this idea of looking at the science of image is really interesting to me. What if I told you that what they're saying is that if they put on an, a wardrobe or an image that creates stress hormones and cr- increases cortisol levels, they could be breaking down their brain's capacity. This is how serious this conversation is. One of the most fascinating things for me is the role that image plays. Anybody know anyone Jewish? Anyone know anyone Jewish? You ever notice that they wear very proudly their kippah. Anyone know any Arab people who wear the hijab? Symbols regulate our soul. And largely through image, we know how to identify ourselves. So if you identify, and there's a direct association and a correlation between the uniform and stress, then you create enormous potential for breaking down the person's mental capacity. So what you're doing is re-engineering the opportunity to create more positive hormones or love hormones for yourself and self-love. So I want, to, I want to make that very clear. How many of us, I just want to make sure I understand who's in the room. How many of you have had um, a helper in your home? Raise your hand. Okay, so, so we all can identify with this conversation. Uh, when I came to South Africa, I was about 30 years old for the first time. And I, never, I, I didn't know anyone. Literally, even my wealthy friends didn't have a helper. So this idea was just a fascinating dynamic for me and to be able to observe. And I'm talking about wealthy people who live, like, you know that good space on the golf course? Not in the back. I'm talking about the good space. They didn't even have helpers. So this dynamic is very interesting for me. Um, and this emerging markets conversation is very interesting. I just want to say this quickly and then we'll get back into this conversation. Recently, I, and I think everyone in here can relate to, if you dress different, people treat you different. Anybody, everybody can relate to that, right? Mm-hmm. I was in Woolworths recently, and I didn't have on a suit or anything, and I had on a, a sort of a sweatpants. I just finished playing basketball. And the security guard started following me around. <laughs> now, this is fundamentally based on my uniform, which is a basketball uniform. So I recognized that she's following me around thinking I'm going to steal something, so I started dodging her. I went literally behind corners... And I start toying with her. And then afterwards, I went up to her and I said, I know this is not your fault, but I want to educate you on what you were doing. You were making an association between my uniform and my essence, and you were just trying to protect yourself and keep your job. So we have a bigger issue in society of dealing with assigning labels with uniforms and how people look. So it's a bigger conversation that you're addressing, which is why I wanted people to applaud you guys. So. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you. Uh, what I'd like you to talk to, because it speaks so well to what uh, Tim's just said about how the clothes we wear affect, affect our psyche. And this was part of the brief that we gave to the UJ students. Um, we spoke about, about enclothed cognition. 
Yes, so um, that's the brief that we presented to the fashion department along with a very long list of parameters that we got from a lot of the domestic workers that we spoke to. And um, so there's a study that's been going on for a number of years that's called Enclosed Cognition. And they see what happens to the mind in relation to what you feel about what you wear. And so they, they, take, they always take an example of a lab coat. And they give a, one group of people a lab coat, one group of people, the, one, another group of people the same lab coat. And they tell the one group that it's a doctor's lab coat. And they tell the other group that it's a painter's lab coat. And then they test their mind's capacity. And what they find is that those that thought it was a doctor's lab coat focused better, felt more confident, and they had things associated to the kind of confidence and the kind of demeanor that doctors carry themselves with. And inversely, the, those that believed it was a painter's um, lab coat were a lot more creative and, you know, so, so they were doing the same task, but the way that their minds worked were completely different because of what they associated to what they were wearing, although it was the same thing. And so this is certainly what we found with the uniform and why that is such a predominant complaint um, from, I think, every domestic worker that we've ever interviewed is because the moment they put it on, their demeanor changes, but also the way that people respond to them is completely different. So one will, someone can talk to them in one way without it and talk to them completely differently as soon as they put it on. And it's mind-blowing how, so how we sort of naturally just do that. The interesting thing is that um, everybody who advocates for a domestic workers' uniform obviously says that it's practical. They need it to cover their clothes, right? The ladies agree, oftentimes as well. Nobody wants to do that kind of work in their best outfit, okay? So it's, it's, it's got a very uh, practical role. But from a practical point of view, now if we're talking about enclosed cognition and we're looking at that lab coat example where the, the guys who wore the lab coat who thought it was a doctor's lab coat were immediately more productive, um, more creative. They performed better. And so for me, there, there's an interesting relationship there. So it's almost counterproductive, if you look at it, to put a domestic worker in a uniform that at the same time affects her, her psyche in a negative way. Yeah, I want to pick up on this because additional studies, for example, everyone know about the placebo effect, right? The, you have a pill that you think is actually a certain pill. It will impact your body even if it's not that pill. The same thing happens with image. And in another lab coat study that showed that if people thought, if the person was, the doctor was wearing a lab coat and the doctor wasn't wearing a lab coat, people actually healed quicker if they thought the doctor was actually a doctor. So the lab coat itself had an influence on the immune system's ability to heal. Now, that's the placebo effect. Then you have the nocebo effect, which not many people talk about, which is the opposite thing, which is, if, for example, people have on a uniform that people associate with um, incompetence, low-level um, sort of social, social uh, positioning, the nocebo effect argues that even if the person is saying something articulate, you will assume it's not articulate. Mm-hmm. This is important. And I just want to share this quickly in terms of the, the, how the brain operates in systems, just quickly. So if I say to you what's five plus five, you, you spend zero energy on the answer because it's programmed in your system, in your, what we call your system one in your brain. If I say 10 plus 10, I actually control your mind because you actually have this formula in your mind because of efficiency purposes. So you have a formula that goes uniform plus helper equals something. 
Now, this is where it gets really interesting. If I go 20 plus 20, you, I literally have control of your mind. But if I say to you what 17 times 33, you have no idea, no matter how smart you are. Now, here's the reason. Here's what we're doing. We're asking people to go 17 times 33 equals smart. You're trying to, you, you're re-engineering the idea of the uniform to a formula that people aren't aware of. So if you can change the uniform to align with the formula that people are familiar with, you get a different response from the person's brain, both in the, in the helper as well as the person that's working for. This is why we need you, Tim. <laughs> this is exactly why you're here. I think this really makes um, the psychological case for, for what we're doing. And I'd like to now ask why you think the uniform hasn't changed in all this time. Well, I think that one has to understand the, the system first and foremost. And I think that fashion by its very nature is associated with the social class divisions and status. And so, and fashion on, on its own, whether it's, it's a piece of clothing or multiple pieces of clothing, fashionable, unfashionable. It works on the premise of the trickle-down theory. So what that essentially means is that fashion trickles down from the high society to the lower classes. And so the lower classes become the recipients of the hand-me-downs of the higher society. And in essence, that means that it is already a devalued piece of clothing mm -hmm. when one receives that. Mm -hmm. And any person that wears that devalued piece of clothing is as same as that devalued garment. Mm -hmm. And so that devalued garment is no longer required by the higher society because it shows where they have progressed from and what they have come from. So in the case of the, the, the uniform, it was meant not to be a fashionable item, but it was meant to be an item of clothing that was a, represent, a representation and a communicative tool because it simply communicated and represented and represents the, the, the kind of wealth or the kind of people and the status of the people that you work for. So in other words, the, the uniform is actually a reflection of the wealthy person. And this stemmed all the way back to the 1920s. And so because of that representation and it communicated that status of the people that you work for, it was never intended to change. It never changed. It served its purpose. It, served, it is successful. It is effective simply because it communicates and represents the reflection of the rich wow. and the wealthy and the devalued of the unwealthy. So in essence, it, 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 ne it never changed because it simply was not made to reflect the wearer or the experiences of the wearer for that matter. Right, right. Timothy? Yeah, I mean, that point is fascinating because have, how many of you have worn pinstripes before? Have you ever thought about where pinstripes come from? No. It was actually a product of a think tank. And this is where I get excited about projects like this because the role of any sort of rigorous think tank 
is, you know, to obviously advance society. As a society advances, then you have to change how we aesthetically represent and signal to the world. So what we're saying is that this particular community role is changing in society, so we have to change the aesthetic. So pinstripes came during the post-Victorian period because academicians, intellects from various backgrounds and business people gave a brief to designers and fabric weavers and they said, we want a look that mirrors and echoes the discipline of the accounting ledger. So imagine, pinstripes were designed to communicate the rigor and the strategic sort of simplicity of the accounting ledger because they wanted to communicate that when people wore pinstripes, they thought through the line very thoroughly and very rigidly about business. Wow. Now, applying that level of rigor to this and to say, we are in a think tank environment and we want, as designers and academicians and so forth, to put forward an image that aligns with what we want these, this community of people to say is what you're actually doing. Uh, yeah, just one of the things I actually wanted to add um, about that question is what's, where, where we find that uniform in places like Pick and Pay, yes. pay is in aisle number 15. I don't know if you know what happens in aisle number 15, but there's the, <laughs> there's the Omos and the you know, dishwashing liquid, and right next to it is a piece of clothing. Um, so it's not in the clothing aisle. It's, so it's not necessarily, it's seen probably less as clothing and more as something functional. As just as much as a utility piece as a pot or pan or something that cleans. On a gut feel, because Mum Yvonne, you are, you are so intuitive, first of all, but also you have quite a, you have a really strong grasp of uh, where we come from as a country and kind of where we're going. And you're such a remarkable civil society leader as well. And you're just so tapped into social issues. So if I had to ask you on a gut feel, in the South African context, why do you think the domestic worker uniform hasn't changed? What would you say? Well, I think it's because um, we have not changed the status quo. We've left it as it is. And it's actually very sad that even us, you know, uh, people of color, treat our people very badly, you know. And I think, as everybody has said here, it's that kind of status. And, in fact, I want to ask my, 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 my helper, Gemas, do you like wearing uniform, Gemas? <laughs> Not much. You like it. You see, that one I can't control her. I tell her, wear whatever she says. No, I do what I want. So she says she likes wearing it. But for me, it's really nice. Can we ask here. her why? No, there. Huh? Why do you like wearing it? Why do you like... Okay. But she we... says she's not ashamed of her job. But, you know, um, as I said, uh, because my mother was a domestic worker... And when she took the madam's kids to school, it was okay. But when she was supposed to walk me and my two sisters to the bus with a uniform, we didn't want her to. You know, we, we felt ashamed. And um, I really think what you guys are doing is changing the status quo, not doing it without them. Because, you know, I always say, how do you cut my hair if I'm not there? I have to be there. Nothing for us without us. There is no country in the world that's perfect, right? Um, my president, Trump, 
Guys, I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, I, guys. No way. So the whole world is has issues, right? The whole world. But South Africa, I don't feel it gives enough itself enough credit for how far it's come. You know, the, how you looked at domestic workers prior to '94 um, versus how you looked at domestic workers now has evolved and will continue to evolve. So the question becomes: How do you create this think tank to offer a solution that creates a formula that brings the best out of us? based on where society is going. So if you look at the trajectory, so your point, Yvonne, is that the reason why probably a lot don't want to wear this is simply because it's, it makes an extraordinary impact on their psyche. So they would want to wear something that aligns with how they feel that day, how they, how they want to translate themselves. So if we create an image that aligns with the trajectory of where society is going, you're going to have a big win. I had a client that was an advocate, and I was sharing this with someone outside, who we were able to reduce the amount of sexual harassment that she faced by changing the pattern, textures, and colors she wore. Because patterns have energy. If you do wide blocks or you do sort of heavily textured garments, it creates a sense of authority and power. Certain sort of shoulder type of garments, certain type of silhouettes and aesthetics create the impression of power. I don't like to bring up Hitler because he was so, you know, so tragically sad. But he understood image. In fact, he had his soldiers raise the belt on the uniform to intimidate the enemy by projecting their shoulders to be broader. And it would work against their enemies. So to be able to change the aesthetic has the ability to change the relationship between you and your boss. And that's key. Because if you can create a more intimate relationship as society is evolving, you create a healthier relationship between two parties. I think that that society has um, almost used this as a tool as for prejudice. Yeah. And you know, so when a when a domestic worker uses a uniform, it's not that she's just using a uniform. But she's actually wearing that lack of education, that yeah. inequality, that lower class. Um, you know, and that is what she is wearing. Absolutely. And when, when society looks at it and approaches her and sees her in that, it leads to shame. So, Julie, you agree? I agree 100% also with them. And also, I think when you change the uniform, it's a matter of changing the name because the name also says it all. Mm. Because, you know, the word domestic. Yeah. You know what? When people say, oh, you are a domestic, you work there when I'm wearing a uniform. I feel ashamed. I feel like I'm nothing. I feel embarrassed. I feel like I'm just somebody who cleans and cook and look after children. My relationship with Penny, you see her, she's in pink there. She's very naughty also at the same time, you know. <laughs> Um, I normally call her maid Penny. You see her. <laughs> she's, she's maid, I can tell you. She's maid, not even maid. I can say crazy. She's crazy. You know, <laughs> my relationship with Penny, it's so good mm. because I'm a domestic worker. Mm. I've been working for her for like 19 years now. Mm. And I'm also a receptionist. I work at the office. She works at home. So mm. I work with her in the office. I, mm. I do my half housework, I go to the office, I help her. On her computer, she's teaching me everything. Mm. 
Mm. I go with her when she's doing her job, which is train, training crime prevention to the domestic workers. Mm. So, you know, one day she landed up in hospital for six months. I didn't have yet the choice. I wasn't a public speaker, but I took over her. I said, I told myself, I said, <laughs> I said, I'm going to stand up and do it for her. I went to bed when she was lying down in the ICU. She was in the ICU for four months. So I went to her, I said to her, I'm going to do this for you. Don't die. Don't leave me into this mess. <laughs> I wanted her to come back and clear up things and leave me knowing many things in life. So she's trained me so many things. But I'm a domestic worker. Yeah. I do wear the uniform. Yeah. When I go with her, I wear the maid uniform with her. So, so when you wear that uniform, you've said now this uniform, because it's an R number 15, speaks to cleaning. Yeah, this uniform is just for cleaning for me. But as I, I say to you, I know who I am. Mm. I know what I'm capable of. I can do so many things. I, I can wear it around the environment where I'm working. But when I go out, I don't want people to judge me. So you would see. you agree that this is more than a cleaner's uniform? This is more than a cleaner's uniform. When, when you're wearing it, it says... You are, you are a cleaner. So, was it you that was saying the other day you felt like in the new uniform people wouldn't know what you were and so instead they would ask you questions. They would start to think bigger about all of the things that you could possibly be. And then maybe you could give some of those answers, right? Like, I'm a PA, yes, I'm a public see, speaker. If you put on a new uniform, this one. So when people see you, I can walk straight to this. Mm. I can go to the shops with this. Uh, I can go many places because people will look at you and start thinking, maybe she's a waiter, maybe she's... Those jobs which don't make you feel bad, you see. Mm. Maybe she's an assistant for the doctor. They want to know who you are. My final question to the panel is... And I want to speak more to the South African context. I want to know why the, the shame and the stigma around the domestic worker uniform exists in our country specifically. It's not just a South African thing. Mm. It's, a, it's a global thing where anytime you have someone serving, someone who's seen as like a master, whether it's throughout this colonial heritage or, um, you know, from slave to slave master or any type of contrast like this, it's important to recognize that I think we have in a three-generation conversation. I think that in the next sort of the fourth generation, you probably won't have domestic workers. If you look at every society and every social trajectory, once society becomes more equal, if we achieve the goals of this society, then what will end up happening is the masses and majority will be educated, you'll have a healthy middle class, and you have very, very few people that will have some sort of um, helper in the home. The vast majority of people won't have because you have a bulk middle class and wealth distribution. So I think it's important to understand the trajectory. So in South Africa, it's a server. In this case that you're speaking about, you've got a server in a uniform so people perceive that you should be serving. That's why you create this sort of social conflict. So I think that will change as people start to shift towards uh, you know, the evolution of the society. What I... What I yeah, because I, I agree with that tra trajectory. But what I do also think we can tap into is the very um, unique roles that they fill and so the kinds of knowledge and skills that they've established while in the role. So even if the domestic, and I mean, as Julie said, you know, the, the kinds of things that she's done that's way beyond what domestic 
work would ever require of you. Um, those kinds of things are the things that we can still tap into to really enrich in those things as an economy in themselves. So in spite of whether the space ceases to exist or not, or at least diminishes in how, how many there are and the role that it, it, it sits as, I think that there's still quite a large potential in tapping into these very unique and dynamic added skills that they have to really enrich it in the economic space. And on that note, actually, we're going to open it up to the audience and take a, a, a Q&A. This gentleman over here. Um, what do you think, as time goes on, as this becomes the, the word, what do you think again to be... Don't you think again that tagging of this is what domestic workers were, don't you think it will go back to the same thing as time goes on? As it's a, yeah, it's a very, very good question. And uh, we, we did really think about that because, it, you know, it, it also isn't enough to have a conversation and then in time it becomes the new domestic worker uniform. Um, and this is why one of the, the parameters was flexibility um, and the ability for them to independently change their look whenever they want to, so that it doesn't always look exactly the same. Um, and that's why it's, it's, it's got um, the belt that allows them to sort of tighten it if they want to cinch it or loosen it if they want to. And it's got the zip on the side that allows it to either be an apron or to become a dress. And again, you can sort of tailor it to your body. Um, but And also, you know, coming in, in different kinds of colors, different kinds of length, all that stuff. And so even though, yes, it does... Um, it will end up potentially becoming that, but at the same time, I think what's important is for them to be able to, to, to change their look whenever they feel like it so that they get to decide what they look like when they go and pick up a child from school. So they get to decide what they look like in a home. And I think it's fundamental with that because what they perceive of themselves also starts to fill clothing. So it's not always clothing that, that sort of fills the perception of the domestic worker. And I think if that changes, um, I think it starts to affect then what that carries. Um, gentleman in the white T-shirt. Um, I think the one thing, just to sort of build on what he said, is that I think why it's important that that outfit needs to change is because it most likely comes out of a, a phase of our history that is rather oppressive. Um, and I think as fashion goes on, fashion gets updated. So most likely in a couple of years that would need to be updated again, but it's important that that one's updated because it still symbolizes a lot from what comes out of our history. Okay, question at the back. Okay, yes, I said I'm a domestic and I'm not ashamed of my job. Um, guys, please don't uh, uh, take me wrong. I'm not supporting this uniform because I don't know what I'm... I, am I going to wear that uniform with? Okay, if I'm working for this lady, she's young, and her husband will be young, I'll be wearing that uniform. <laughs> and, <laughs> I know it will suit me. So what will happen in the house? I'm wearing that uniform because if I'm, I'm wearing the big one. Uh, Madam doesn't choose the uniform for me. I'm going to the shop, the shops to buy the uniform for me to choose my colors. And even if I'm going to the mall with them, with the uniform, she doesn't like me to go to the mall with the uniform, even her kids, but I like it. I'm going to the malls with the uniform because I will not change. I will, be not, I will not be a nurse or a teacher. I'm a domestic worker, and I'm fine with it. So 
I don't feel bad about domestic being domestic, but mm. what I'm saying, I'm worried about this uniform. <laughs> No, and I think you raised an important point, and I think we, it's something we spoke about in the design process as well. The students did design a number of yeah. uniforms, but this was the only one that was produced for the event. Okay. So there is a series of, of uniforms, and, um, and the intention behind this one as well was that in winter you could wear tights with it or... And of course, you must understand this is a size 34, so it's a perfect dimension mm. for a 34, but obviously in the bigger size, it's going to change its dimensions and look differently. And the idea was to move the straps around so that it could, if you wanted it slightly tighter, you could have it tighter. And on that note, Nishane, actually, I want you to speak to um, UJ's involvement in this project and why... You, you chose to, to join us on our, our, our mission and to take on our brief. Uh, thank you, Mbali. Um, I've got two reasons for it. I think, firstly, from a departmental point of view, um, the, the fashion design department made a conscious, rational decision to ground its teaching and learning and its, its design practice in what we call design with intent. And what that means is that teaching and learning and the practice and approach to it moves away from the superficiality to more relevant and contextual environmental and social issues. And this project was typically the kind of design with intent that we, we talk about. And so, when Teresa first met with um, Desiree Small, our HOD, you know, to get an understanding of the project, it, it's aligned perfectly to what our focus was for the department. So my colleagues, Jackie Lucking, uh, Lee DeVette, and I myself worked on this project under the leadership of Desiree Small. Mm. That was more departmental level. So the whole focus of the department has moved towards that direction. Yeah. From a very personal point of view, and my personal uh, teaching and learning philosophy is that I see fashion to address and more, to address more social issues, but to ground itself itself into more human well-being. And with that human well-being comes the user's experience, how the wearer experiences it. Mm. So this project created the opportunity for students to design in a more meaningful manner, but to engage in something as deeply contextual and as relevant as the domestic worker. And this created the opportunity for them to actually step inside those shoes mm. and to understand its context and to engage with domestic workers, to actually make the domestic worker more visible. Mm. And I think from the feedback that I got from the students, I think that they, they really enjoyed this project. Um, I think what's incredible, so when I met you, I remember you, the first thing you said was this is such a fantastic way for us to build empathy into yes. fashion and into education, yes. which I thought was absolutely remarkable. I want to take um, two 
more questions, a few more questions from the audience. Um, we'll start over there. Okay, I kind of. Oh, you have the. Sorry, right, I kind of so stole that the makes mic. Sense to start, start with you. <laughs> um, first of all, I'd like to commend you guys on what it is that you're doing. I really think it's um, it's something great. Um, I just want to share uh, an observation, I guess, um, that I've made, and I think you guys, you know, touched on it, uh, touched on it broadly. Um, I think uniform in itself um, and clothing in general, it dictates treatment, right? So based on how a person is dressed, it gives you permission to treat that person in a particular manner. So for instance, if a person is wearing a suit, you tend to kind of know to approach that person in a more respectful manner. And unfortunately, the uniform that domestic workers work, wear today, it kind of makes people treat them as lesser people in society. That's why if, for instance, um, someone, a neighbor's child comes over and, and pays me a visit or whatever, you know, and they see a domestic worker there, they automatically, without even knowing who this domestic worker is, they have the urge to kind of send them around or to treat them in whatever manner that they've seen their domestic worker being treated. So I kind of just felt like um, throwing that out. Thank you Thanks. so much. That's such a great observation. Okay, so the lady over there, and then this lady here, and then I... Oof, there are so many. How do you almost package that knowledge and catalog and start um, pushing that in numbers by, by maintaining the same finesse, by maintaining the same conversations, and, and like um, our, 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 our making the fashion is explaining that um, um, it was all about students uh, 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 being engaged in this process. Um, but, you know, looking at the realities of economies, of time, demand, and supply, um, how did we Yes, that was one of the parameters that we set up for the students as well. The fact is uniforms do need to be mass produced or often are. Um, and, but that isn't necessarily a problem. You know, it's, I mean, as we all know as designers, it's always a design potential more than it isn't a problem. Um, and so what they did consider and, and as, a designer myself, I know that this collar is going to be quite hectic to mass produce. So I'm aware of the flaws of it. Um, and this is not necessarily the complete and finite garment. And this is why we really do welcome the conversations, we welcome the criticisms, because we are aware of the realities of something like this. But at the same time, what I think is very important is that no matter what kind of, of garment it is, that it allows flexibility. Because if you can mass produce flexibility, which offers choice, which offers the word choice, that's a very, very important thing to have in garment. That offers absolutely no choice. You are what you are when you wear that. But when you start to change this and customize it, when you walk out the door and you leave it a little bit loose or you leave it open or whatever it is, and you choose the garment that you wear underneath it to complement um, a, a personal identity aspect of you that you want to represent, you know, for, for something to offer that, I think is very important. And I think that can be mass produced because ultimately when it gets into your hands, it becomes what you make it. Sorry, I'm still on the mic as well. I'm going to be that guy. Yeah, I really appreciate the topic that you guys have opened up here. Um, the uniform is definitely an essential part to someone's work. But if you go to a hardware store, you find workers' overalls there. If you go to a security store, you find a security man's outfit there. And I don't think that the uniform in itself might be the problem. And the way that you guys have described your issues is that you don't want people to know what kind of work you do, because that is the issue. 
um, like the deep value of the job itself, that domestic workers aren't valuable. And I think that that might be the bigger issue here because, like you said, what happens in that uniform becomes associated with domestic work mm. and it becomes a known thing. It's still going to be a problem. Um, so the real problem being the stigma around domestic work and the devaluing of these people because they're not conventionally educated. Um, and just having a paradigm shift of be, these people actually being valuable, being maternal figures in homes, that kind of thing. But, but it's, it has to happen simultaneously. You, you don't just do one without the other. And I think that's part of their whole goal is to go, in the short term right now, what can we do as we're redefining this much bigger, bigger issue, which is what you're speaking to, simultaneously, what tools can we offer to empower uh, the helper to, to feel more independent, to have more choice, and so forth. But I think Julie has, has said it best for me. Um, when, when she described the uniform, she said, with a uniform where they don't immediately recognize what I am, I might get the opportunity to get asked a second question or a third question or a fourth question. That's when someone starts to try and understand what you are as a person. You know, They want to find out more than what they think you are because of what you look like. Absolutely. So it's, it's not just... A, a sort of superficial start to be able to offer s- someone the opportunity to get asked a secondary question or, or third question so that she gets to frame the kind of person she wants to look like to you I think is very important and they never they never get that opportunity because would you ever ask her another question if you see her in that hi I don't need this so much um, just a couple of comments I, I'm a, I'll, I, I talk fast um, Firstly, I just want to say, I think this is an amazing initiative um, because domestic workers are really the backbone of our society. Really, I think everyone that has, you know, who was the one that taught you to, like, eat your toast and whatever because you're going to be big and strong and stuff like that. And it was your domestic worker. And I think domestic workers are really, the problem is that the reason I personally think domestic workers are so undervalued in our society is because... People are scared of being a domestic worker. And the only way you can justify paying someone so little for what they do in their family is if you devalue them as a person. If you can justify paying them nothing, then you, you must be able to justify that. And I think that's the main problem with our society. So what you were saying was, as soon as your middle class becomes bigger, you can't afford a domestic work anymore. So like I said, the domestic worker need is definitely there. It will always be there. We always want someone to help us, you know, wash our dishes and stuff. Why not? I mean, everyone wants that in their life. But like you said, as soon as your middle class grows, you're not going to be able to afford a domestic work anymore because you're finally going to be paying your domestic worker more. You're gonna, as soon as you increase their financial value, the value of the job itself has more value. And I think the fabulousness about this uniform is the fact that it is sort of neutral. Maybe she's an LTEC. Maybe she works at the dentist. Like you say, it's the start of a conversation. And just because something gets mass produced does not cheapen it in any way. I mean, jeans get mass produced, but things are still cool. You know? And like you say, it's the start of a conversation. And I love that you guys are skilling domestic workers so that they have skills, they become, people sort of appreciate the skills that they have. But now my next question is, like, my mom's a grade one teacher and in grade one level already, they're like, oh, your mom does this for a living. So how do we as a society, I do definitely think that straight away it starts that conversation, which is important. 
how do we as a society then develop that conversation and ultimately change our overall view of how do we change the way we perceive domestic workers? Because that uniform is definitely a start, but it has to start in the home with our children, with everyone. That whole perception needs to change. We really need to value the role that these ladies and, and men play in our homes. How do we, how do we move from not only skilling up the domestic worker, but skilling up the employer and everyone else. And so that we can have more people going, my mom's a domestic worker and I'm proud of that because she's the backbone of our society. And without domestic workers, the rest of us would be much worse off. So, and this is why MAID exists, for exactly that reason, because we do understand how... You know how much we talk. We do talk quite a lot, and and that's also why I sort of said, there's a, we we didn't start the the show on Cliff Central to talk about issues because we know those issues, but it was rather to paint the, or to present the domestic worker as much a social commentator as we can be, because it's also fundamental for. Um, anything that we're trying to change to become the thing that we want it to be seen as. And, you know, sort of telling you that they are incredible social commentators isn't quite the same as presenting them as that. And that's really why MADE exists. And, and this is why we have something like this and in partnership with the university and in partnership with retailers. Um, because we know that those connections can be there, they're just not made. And so we're not necessarily asking anyone to look at them in any way. We're simply presenting them as exactly what it is that they are, just with networks that haven't been created yet. And so, you know, in time you'll sort of see them. And hopefully that will start to shift the way or the things that we associate in relation to them. Um, okay. But to sort of ask people to to look at domestic workers and domestic work in a different way, I think is simply not enough. So, And that's why that's why it exists. Thanks so much, Lisa. I am aware of time, so I'm going to take three more questions, um, and I'm going to ask that you keep them as quick as possible. So, lady over there. Okay. I noticed one of the artists, Janelle Monet, does where she's she's a she's a child of parents who are public workers, and for her, uh, uniform has become thing is she doesn't have to wear it, but she likes the idea of performing in it because for her it just tells people that I am now a product of something that wasn't deemed very well, but I've so like Miss, uh, like uh, Mrs. Von Chakachak was a case of. From that, I am now, I'm now better because of it. But I'm going to always look back on it to say that this is how I land when I go down because that's how my parents did, and that's therefore amazing. she's basically t- taken the ordinary uniform mm. and made it something very fashionable, something very pretty, something very strong. That's as powerful. Well. That's yeah. incredible. Nishan, do you want to address the question? Yes, sorry, I, I'd like to address your question and the gentleman's question at the back there. I'd just like to contextualize the, the project in a whole firstly because the gentleman spoke about stigmatization. And I would like to very clearly stress that this was designed by first-year students, not third-year students or, or fourth-year students, but by first-year students. And to get the understanding behind that, we went through the stigmatization theory. So they had a theoretical framework from which to work and the design criteria for, from, from Mbali and Talisa. And as in any design process, it works in a series of iterations. So there's going to be a number of conversations, a number of series, a number of design sequences that's going to emerge. That's just part of the design process. This was just the first one and the first conversation and the first project that 
that stemmed from, from Mbali and, and Tulisa. So we're fully aware that it's going to develop further. Thank you so much. Okay, um, and then questions from the two ladies in purple at the back, and those will be our final questions. Um, yeah, I don't have a good question per se. I just want to, I think it's a wonderful platform, um, Tulisa and Mbali, that, that you've embarked on together with your co-founders to give the domestic worker a voice, um, to give a voice to the voiceless that has been typically in our history, that's how it's always been. And and I think it's, I'm here just to commend you. I think it's a wonderful initiative. Um, I think the uniform on the left is going to go through lots of processes with regards to evolvement. And I think that speaks to um, the metal of our country um, we have evolved over time and we continue. We are currently in a, in a, in a process of evolvement. And I think, um, I think that speaks to that. So congratulations. And, so and I much. think this is a wonderful thing. Thank you so much. Um, I, I really, I really don't want to miss anyone <laughs> regarding the thank yous because we really are very grateful. Firstly, to, the entire panel, thank you so, so much for all of your insights. And thank you for pushing us and testing us, not necessarily just agreeing with us for the sake of agreeing with us. I think that's very, very important, especially for something as serious as this. Um, and I also want to thank the Department of Fashion Design. We really, from the bottom of our hearts, appreciate how much you've taken from us. I think we've kept throwing things at you, and you've just so kindly accommodated us. Um, we also wouldn't have been able to have this event without Professor Federico Freshi, who's not here at the moment, but he's the head of department. He's also made this happen really quickly. I also um, want to thank Tamara and Claudine Oh my God, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for all that you guys managed to do, as well as Luyanda. Um, and Jace and the sound crew, thank you as well. Um, we also want to thank the band that you heard outside, the Jazz Hound, the African Jazz Hounds, um, as well as our incredible photographer in front here, Leon Kricha. Um, and I'd also like to thank Dory, who's standing up there, who's from the Cliff Central team and has made this a, a broadcast. And, Every single domestic worker that's managed to come tonight, thank you so much for giving us your time. And thank you to everyone that's also come here to engage with a conversation that isn't necessarily one you'd always want to have. You guys have been an amazing audience. Thank you so much for making the time. I know Timothy's bursting to say something, so will you um, say something for us in closing? Yeah, just um, from from my side, I'm, one, I'm just really grateful to be on this extraordinary panel of powerful leaders, thinkers, helpers who are getting involved and creative designers who are amazing, amazing audience. I just think we're privileged to be in the presence of such a diverse audience. And I think we need to celebrate these level of collaborations more. And a lion does not go into uh, the kingdom and go, guys, will you take me serious, please? Uh, please take me serious. It knows its power. And I think what you're doing is empowering helpers and people around them will take them more serious as they know their power and as you give them choice. So thank you guys. Thank, thank you so much for saying that. Um, and that's much better really than the closing that I had planned. Um, <laughs> I'd like to thank you again for making the time. This has been a really special day. Um, and I'm very aware of how historic things can happen with the smallest groups of people, two people even. Um, I was aware of that at Mug and Bean when Clemmy got up to, to, to post the photographs in this new uniform. I'm aware of that tonight um, 
We had a beautiful opening by Mum Yvonne Chaka Chaka, and we have a a more diverse panel here and a more diverse forum than exists in most of our country. And this has been such a, a uniting and an accessible conversation for for everyone. Um, and so I, I'd, I'd really like to thank you, and hopefully we can have more of these, but I really think tonight that you all contributed to, to the making of history um, on our journey. So thank you so much. Yes. The revolution. I've got something important to tell you.